You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. What are the recent implications of the ACCORD, ADVANCE, and VA diabetes trials related to intensive glycemic control and prevention of cardiovascular events? Joining us to discuss glycemic control and the prevention of cardiovascular events in patients with type 2 diabetes is Executive Director of the International Diabetes Center at Park Nicolette in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and President-Elect of Medicine and Science of the American Diabetes Association in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Dr. Richard Bergenstahl. Dr. Bergenstahl, welcome to ReachMD. Hello, Dr. Edelman. It's a pleasure to speak to you today. All right, Rich. What was the main question that the ACCORD, the ADVANCE, and the VA diabetes trials were trying to answer? Well, Steve, the primary outcome or the main question uh, being asked in these trials was really, does near-normal glucose control prevent cardiovascular disease in individuals with type 2 diabetes who are already at high risk for heart disease. And there were thousands of patients across the U.S., Canada, and around the world trying to uh, answer this study. The evidence for tight glycemic control in preventing microvascular complications has already been shown. You know, the, the Diabetes Control and Complication Trial, the UKPDS. So this was a study looking at trying to answer large heart disease. Well, what did they show in, in summary? I think it's important in this case to put all the studies together, and so one of them doesn't outweigh all the others. That are, you know, there's three good trials, and you put them all together. Actually, the heart disease was reduced by 9%. All-cause um, heart mortality and MIs were reduced by 15% when they were all taken together. But mortality was sort of ended up on the what we call the middle line. There wasn't a benefit. There wasn't a risk. Well, I was involved in the VA diabetes trial. You were involved in the ACCORD trial, and they did include tens of thousands of individuals. Well, let's go back to the ACCORD trial. Um, We know that uh, the group that they were really trying to get under good control had a higher overall mortality rate, even though the overall rate was pretty low. What were those uh, deaths due to? Yeah, really interesting. We, uh, in that ACCORD investigating group now, have spent a couple of years trying to sort this out since that initial announcement was made that we better be careful. And here's sort of how the thinking goes as we try to sort it out. Number one, it looks like we were starting too late in the disease, that if you start early, you know, like the UKPDS did, you could actually get some benefit. Um, But if you start 20 years into the disease, it looks like that may be a risk to try to push for normal control. The theories were maybe there was too much hypoglycemia. Now, we haven't been able to prove that, but we did show that if you have severe reactions in type 2 diabetes, either in a standard group or an intensive group, that was a predictor of an increased chance of mortality. And so people think that was a major cause in the intensive group since they had three times the amount of severe reactions, but I must say we haven't proven that. Weight gain was thought to be a problem. People in the intensive group had twice the incidence of gaining more than 10 kilograms. But that hasn't been proven, but is still a theory. People thought maybe we pushed their blood sugars down too rapidly. And yet, 
we actually proved just the opposite, that actually rapid reduction in these group of people with type 2 diabetes was a protective effect, not a, a negative effect. Yeah, and, and I think some of the sub-analysis that I saw, that if your A1C was high, you had a higher chance of, of passing away than those patients with better control. That's right. You look at the headlines, and it said intensive control in type 2, you know, is, puts you at risk for death. So people said, well, that must mean the lower your A1C, the higher mortality risk you have. And actually, the secondary analysis has shown just the opposite. If you're in the intensive group and you're able to get your A1C under 7, down to 6.5, down to 6, you actually had a protective effect, a lower chance of dying. If you were in the intensive group and you weren't able to get under 7, that's where the increased uh, mortality came in. What are some of the reasons that you've thought about of why these three trials did not show uh, improvement in cardiovascular benefits with intensive glycemic control? I think we really had a hard time proving this because I really do think we're starting too late. I mean, just picture it. You go 10, 12, 15, 20 years, and the A1Cs are high, 8.5%, and you have all that glycemic exposure for 20 years, and now you say, and people have already had then one heart attack or a stroke, or they have, and you say, I think I'll fix the glucose now and make everything better. It's just really hard. It's really hard to do. We really are starting too late. So I, I think that's a major issue. I think also we worked really hard, all the study groups did, yours in the VA and the, and the court, and to get the lipids good, to get the blood pressure good, to see the patients who are appropriate were taking aspirin. And when you do all of those things, then it's hard for glucose to stand up and, and show a big difference on top of these other good um, uh, reducing risk factors. In light of these trials... Should we still be concerned about being too aggressive in terms of glycemic control in our type 2 population? Yeah, I, I just hope people don't take away from some of the headlines that glucose control, you know, is not important in, in type 2 diabetes. I, I think it, it really is. Good glucose control, type 1, type 2, definitely reduces the risk of microvascular disease, eye, kidney, nerve. So no matter what else you think, you've got to get good control just for those you know, major complications. Um, second, I think um, starting early is, is really critical, and I think emphasizing not just glucose control, but glucose, lipids, and blood pressure are some key you know, take-homes. Hey, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman, and I'm speaking with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Richard Bergenstahl. We are discussing the implications of the ACCORD, ADVANCE, and VA diabetes trial on clinical care. Well, Rich, let's talk about the American Diabetes Association. You're going to be head of that national organization fairly soon, and they're launching a new public awareness campaign called Stop Diabetes. Tell us about the campaign. Yeah, this is going to be an exciting an exciting time, and the uh, the ADA has said, you know, it's time again to raise the awareness that diabetes just doesn't get the respect uh, that it should, and um, and so they're starting a campaign to stop diabetes. So what are we trying to stop? People often say, well, I think we're trying to stop two things. Can we focus a little more on prevention and stop? those millions of people at high risk from going on to develop diabetes, that's one. And can we stop the development of complications in those who have diabetes? 
you know, good control, glucose, lipids, blood pressure. We really have to do that, and the public's got to get behind it. And if I gave you one quick analogy, just to go through this with me. All right, number one, put up one finger. Number one, diabetes is the number one cause of blindness in adults. Number two, it doubles your risk for heart attack and stroke. Number three, one in every three children born today is going to develop diabetes unless we do something different. Number four, one in four people who have diabetes don't know it. And number five, there's one out of every five Americans is at high risk for developing type 2. So you put all five up and you got the Stop Diabetes campaign in a nutshell. What you're emphasizing is so important, especially now as we're talking about health care reform. You know, where does the American Diabetes Association stand on this issue? I mean, the way I look at it, you know, running, uh, taking control of your diabetes and dealing with the public and right. with diabetes. Hey, I don't care where the health care comes from. It could come from the government. It could come from 7-Eleven. But as long as it allows people for the prevention and aggressive therapy of diabetes, I know the ADA has so much uh, influence on a legislative level. Yep. What's going on there? Yeah, no, thanks for asking. And, you know, in your group with taking uh, control of your diabetes has been a huge player in this, and the ADA is stepping up too. So the ADA, of course, doesn't want to be political, doesn't want to be partisan, but says any reform that is going to get rid of pre-existing conditions, because that says diabetes, 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 mm-hmm. or that gets more people access to care, they're, they're for that that says you can't deny access to someone with diabetes, you can't cap their limit on, you know, uh, uh, of coverage, uh, and it gets access to those who are less fortunate, maybe minority groups, because uh, that's who people with diabetes uh, represent in a disproportionate way. So, so in general, this health care reform, the ADA is in favor of moving ahead, changing our system to get better coverage for people with diabetes. Well, as president-elect of medicine and science for the American Diabetes Association, uh, that's a big job. What are your personal objectives for the short one-year period that you're going to be in office? Yeah, it's it's one of these huge uh, ships. It's hard for one person to steer it, but at least you sort of feel like you want your voice to be heard. And so here's what I'm going to be, you know, screaming from the hilltops about at least. uh, It comes at a good time, as you said, with health care reform and all, but I would love somehow to get more uh, legitimacy for team care. I'm a big advocate for the physician, the educator, the patient, the the specialist, the primary care working together and to be reimbursed, to be compensated, you know, for that team care. It's the only way I think we're going to make a big impact. And I'm going to do my best to try to make it happen because every study we've ever done that you've ever done, it's about calling patients back between visits. It's about being there for them. It's about using the appropriate technology. And so we've got to weave that into uh, the healthcare system. Um, and I hope I can make a dent in that in this next year. Well, I know you do that. You've been doing that for years at the International Diabetes Center. You know, you've done such a great job there at the Park Nicolette. Well, give me one specific. How are you going to take the model? That you, of care that you do there into the national arena? Well, here's what we're going to try to do. I've been working on already behind the scenes, and I hope we're going to bring it forward. Um, I mean, we're convinced that starting somebody on a new therapy, you've got to be in touch with them, email, uh, iPhone, uh, telephone, and yet that's not reimbursed. And we do crazy things. We bring people back to visits. They take a half day off of work. They drive in. They do this just so you can charge them so you can talk to them about their next insulin adjustment or else you can't get paid. 
we're, we want to get insurers to line up and agree, all right, we will fund a pilot of that. The government will say, let's do some pilots to show that this keeping in touch with patients and being supportive makes a difference. We've done some small pilots here, and we know it works. We want to roll it out on a more national level. You know, Rich, it makes so much sense. I mean, uh, direct communication, frequent communication is so important. I'd like to thank our guest, Executive Director of the International Diabetes Center and President-Elect of Medicine and Science of the American Diabetes Association in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Dr. Richard Bergenstahl. Dr. Bergenstahl, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for addressing this important topic. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess, in a way, it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.